Hello and welcome to the GT podcast. Okay. <laughs> Hello everybody. Let me just set myself up. The traitors. The traitors. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. Oh, well done, Ben. The atmosphere's... Oh, there we go. That's good. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if you are a fan of the traitors or if you're not a fan of the traitors. I know there are a few here because, as I've mentioned that this might come up in my talk, quite a few people have gone, secretly, I really like watching the traitors. But there we go. So... Um, there's just some sheets being handed out around the around the around the um, around the chairs, um, so grab one as it comes to you. So the traitors, I'm not sure if you've seen it or if you've not seen it. Um, if you've not seen it, it's probably been pretty hard to avoid it over the last few weeks. Um, but I have to confess to being quite a fan. Um, uh, basically, if you remember series one, it was like the end of 2022, and all the adverts for it had a steam train in it, and it was, a, it was in Scotland going through the mountains, and I was sat there thinking, oh, I wonder if it's about trains, that looks fun, so, so I, uh, one evening I sat down and I put it on, and it wasn't even with Kat, it was just me, and I do not watch reality TV at all, so it was a bit bizarre, but I put it on, and I was absolutely hooked straight away. Um, for those that haven't seen it or have managed to avoid it completely, um, as it said in that clip, basically 22 uh, people of different ages, different walks of life, different backgrounds um, are selected and they're put together to live in this castle in Scotland. And then in the UK version, Claudia Winkleman, um, so she then goes around and selects three of them, I think it's usually three anyway, to be traitors. Um, only those three know that they're the traitors. So everybody else in the group is known as the faithful. Um, and the idea is that they're going to work together as one big team, trying to build up this huge um, like jackpot of up to, I think it's about £120,000 if they manage to do all of the challenges together. So their aim is to try and get as much money as they can collectively as a team. So it, it appears on the surface to be a team activity. But the twist is that every night the traitors get together and they have the opportunity to murder or in a more, actually it's basically eliminate one of the contestants every night. And as well as that, every evening... The, all of the contestants, so the faithful and the traitors, they don't know who the traitors are, they all get together and they get the chance to banish one of the contestants um, from the game. And at the moment that they're, they're released, they reveal if they are a traitor or if they were a faithful. So um, basically, at the end of the game, which I think it takes about two weeks, I'm guessing, just based on what I've watched, um, those left at the end, they get to share that prize pot but if there is a traitor left in the midst, then that traitor takes absolutely everything and nobody else gets a penny. I've made it sound really, really complicated there in that explanation, okay? But it's not. It's really, really simple and it is really, really addictive. So if you haven't watched it, you'll find the way the BBC do it is at the end of each episode, it'll all end in a slightly different place, but they make it so that you have to desperately watch the next episode and they release them in like groups on iPlayer. 
Um, so yeah, they have to work as a team, and they're building friendships and relationships with one another to try and get through it. But underneath, there is always that question of, you know, there's a secret. Are you really a team player, or are you really a traitor? The motivation under the surface isn't the same as what people are presenting to the group. So you're all thinking, that's very interesting, Chris, but what has the traitors got to do with anything? Um, So over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through Philippians chapter 1. And um, as Ben and Sam said, today is our last Sunday on Philippians. We haven't got very far, have we? But we have at least got through chapter 1. As we've heard from various different speakers, we've heard this one message, I think, quite loud and clear through the whole thing. Um, which is that as Christians, we are to be united as one people around the gospel. We're supposed to be one team. Here in this room and the church, worldwide, we are one team. Let's call ourselves, shall we, the faithful. We'll be united with Christ and we're growing together in him. So these little worksheets have just been handed out. Basically, I don't know, maybe you think my voice is boring, I'm not sure. But hopefully, this will just keep you awake. Um, if you've got a pen, then, then grab it. If you, uh, um, if you haven't got a pen, I'm hopefully... Hannah, is you going to go and grab some? Thank you. Um, but yeah, if you, if you want to make some notes, then do do so. Uh, but if you don't, and it's not helpful for you, and it feels a bit like school, just forget it. It's just, it's just an option. So in the first week, if you can remember back, um, it was Jamie that spoke to us. And he spoke to us about the relational gospel. Um, So that was all about how do we put our fellowship together as the community of Christ um, at the center of our relationship? How is the gospel at the the heart of everything we do? And he used this word, I don't know if you remember it, um, koinonia. Um, And that was was great. And I've, I've heard people using it since, actually, in quite a few contexts. Then in the second week, so in week two... Uh, we heard from David, um, and David shared, if you remember, about the praying gospel. So he talked about how we were to be abounding in love for one another as we pray for one another and how, as we work out the gospel. Um, and then in week three, we had a special visitor. Does anyone remember our special visitor, which is the Archbishop? Um, and he talked about the working gospel. So he was talking about how um, collectively... We can put the hope of the gospel into everything that we do. Um, Then last week, Ellie spoke to us about the selfless gospel. So that was about making gospel-centered decisions. Um, And I really liked what Ellie talked to us about. You know, there was those type A and type B decisions. Do you remember that? So the type B ones, which are the ones that we spend a lot of time thinking about, and we process and we maybe read the Bible and pray and talk to people. Um, But... How, how they're a type B, logical, thought-out one, but they only make up a very small percentage of our, of our decisions. Um, whereas the type A's, those instinctive ones, they're the ones that we, um, you know, that actually make up, what, was it 90%? 92% of the decisions that we make. And then so finally today, we're going to wrap all of this up together and talk about the living gospel. So how does all this talk about the gospel and unity as a body actually work in our lives. Um, I'm going to try and unpack it 
fairly practically, if I can, and look at what some of the aspects of unity or disunity, being the opposite of that, might look like and how we can put it into practice. So, our reading, and it's on your piece of paper, so either grab a Bible if you've got your own Bible, use this paper, and it's also on the screen, hopefully. We're going to read Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 27. It says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you, or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, by being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So in that passage we've just read, um, Paul, do you remember where he was? He's writing from prison when he's saying this. He's really desperately, fervently imploring the Christians in Philippi to think about how they conduct themselves, but not individually, but how they conduct themselves together as one group. This group, let's imagine this group, and we'll call them again the faithful, shall we? Um, They've heard the good news from Jesus, uh, of Jesus, from Paul and from Timothy, and now they're working together to advance the gospel among the Gentiles. So that's them as a group, and that's their goal, yeah? I'm going to say, it's a bit like, bear with me, the contestants on the traitors, okay? So they've come from all different walks of life, and backgrounds and experiences, um, and they're there to win this big prize pot together. So, so too were those Christians brought together in Christ to contend for the gospel. Now, the analogy between the traitors and the Christians in Philippi is not very strong. I will, I will accept that. Um, but I do think that in this passage, um, we, as we look at it together... Um, we can consider how this early group of Christians came together to stand as one in spirit. And there are a few practical things, I think, that Paul tries to say in this letter that we can see demonstrated for good or for bad in the traitors. So just bear with me. Um, Just to be clear, for those, those of you that haven't seen the traitors, or maybe you've seen series one but not series two, it, there's no spoilers in this. I'm not going to reveal who wins or who loses. So if we look back at the passage, so starting in verse 27, it starts with an opening phrase which says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I just want you to stop and think about that for a moment. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That standard sounds immensely high. What I think it's really important to do 
is to stop your brain and think about what that's saying and what it's not actually saying. So when I was reading it, I kind of flipped into thinking it was saying something different to what I think it actually says. So it's not saying that we are to become worthy of the gospel as if, like, you know, as if Jesus has set a standard and then we need to try really, really hard to reach that standard. That's not what it's saying. No, it's saying that the gospel is really good news that Jesus died and he rose again for us, but not for those of us that are worthy. It's not saying we need to be worthy in some way. No, instead, out of gratitude for what God has done, it's out of that gratitude that we try and we work hard. So I'm going to try and give us six different practical ways. And what I've done is I've tried to create like a little, well, actually cat, very kindly, created for me six little images to represent each of them. So the first one is that unity, hopefully it'll come up, there we go. Unity comes by conducting yourself in the same way, whatever happens. And that's Paul's phrase, not my phrase, whatever happens. So in the traitors, if you remember, for those of you that have seen it, we saw, and let's be honest, we really delighted in it, didn't we? Watching those traitors behaving mischievously. They'd say one thing, wouldn't they, to one person, uh, and then they'd try and manipulate the conversation to their own ends. We got to see, as viewers on the, on the program, we got to see their hidden strategy in the traitor's turret. So at the end of each night, they would gather together in this turret in the top of the castle, which I'm sure is probably just a studio somewhere. Um, but they went into this turret, and they scheme, and they come up with their plans together. And then the next day, you watch it unfold in the wider group. So Paul, I think, is saying to Philippians, no, that is not how we behave. Your conduct should be the same whatever happens. This means that your conduct in private, at home, should be the same as in public. So when you're standing here in front of everybody, what I say up here should be in line with how you speak to your children at home. Now I say that as somebody with three small children at home and I stand condemned by my own words. <laughs> You know, are our attitudes at work when things go wrong or maybe at university when things seem really unfair, is our attitude the same as that of Christ Jesus? Paul says, because of your conduct, whatever happens, whether I come and see you or whether I just hear about you, I'll know that you're standing firm in the gospel. You see, I think that's like an image of Paul saying, whether I'm looking over your shoulder, you know, whether I can see what you're doing, or whether I just hear about what you're doing, your conduct matters. And it matters that it is consistent. So the next one, unity comes from standing as one in spirit. So this is where I think it comes to that word that Jamie introduced in week one, so koinonia again. Um, it describes that deeper fellowship together as believers rather than just surface-level chat. Now, I'm not saying surface-level chat isn't okay because that's a good thing, isn't it? That's how you get to know people. But Jamie was challenging us to take it deeper. In the traitors, again, I think we see um, the contestants going on this bit of a roller coaster. As they face these challenges together, they're getting to know each other, they're developing relationships, 
But also, they have to face that within their group, people are not being truthful and they're not being honest all of the time. I mean, that's part of the game, really. In our journey, though, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're joined together, aren't we, by the Holy Spirit. We're one, one body, but we know it isn't all rosy. People hurt us and we hurt each other. Things go wrong. Paul encourages us to push deeper in our relationships as we go on this journey of following, following Jesus together. And we need to acknowledge our mistakes. And I think it is really hard. But in a genuine body, if we're a genuine family, as Paul's calling us to be, then we need to stop and, and acknowledge and say sorry when we've hurt others, to ask for repentance. Okay, so that was the first one and the second one. The third one then is about our goal. That's supposed to be someone running towards a goal. Um, so it's about having a common purpose and having a common goal. And that, in the context of the Philippians, and therefore for us, is the gospel of Jesus. In the traitors, yeah, what was their goal? They were supposedly focused on this £120,000 prize part. And they were supposed to be doing it together. You know, they're always doing these activities and going, you know, oh, we're all one team. And you're thinking, no, you're not one team. Because some of them knew that all along, if they got to that end, they would just say goodbye, everybody, and take all of the money for themselves. So we, as, as, as people, we all put our hope into something, whether we're Christians or whether we're people of no faith. And it's what we put our hope into that becomes the focus of a lot of our effort and our time. In the book of 1 Timothy, so Timothy was... Um, like a younger leader that Paul was um, mentoring. And, and Timothy puts it like this. He says, that is why we should labor and strive, because we have uh, put our hope into the living God, who is the savior of all people. Is this why you labor and strive individually and with other people when we're doing stuff together as G2 or with other Christians? Is it because we've got our hope in the living God who's the saviour of all people? Or actually, are we, are we motivated by other things? I thought the Archbishop mentioned this quite well because he was saying even when we are motivated by other things, God can still use it. But that's no reason for us to not challenge our motivations. So that was number three, unity in the gospel. Number four. So this is supposed to be somebody looking scared. I think they do actually look scared. Um, so, unity comes from facing danger together. Um, now, if most of you that know me or know me fairly well probably wouldn't describe me as the kind of person that's, like, super adventurous. <laughs> um, I'm the kind of person that likes to plan and prepare for things before they, before they happen. So, as a child, I, at middle school, I used to catch the bus to school. Um, and I say I used to catch the bus. I used to actually catch the bus before the bus, before the bus, before the bus, just in case one of those buses didn't turn up. It was, I look back now, and it was totally ridiculous. Um, but there we go. So when, um, when a friend of mine, I think he was on a stag weekend, invited me to go what's called co-steering, I was like, oh, okay, I'll have a look into that. That sounds fun. And then I started to look into it, and it seems to vary in kind of a, its adventurousness. Um, so I decided it was probably best not to carry on looking. Um, and to just go along with it. Um, so when I turned up, actually, I really enjoyed it. 
Um, but I mainly enjoyed it because I was there with a group of other people who just like egged me on. And I also discovered that it's best on this to be near the front of the group. So you're sort of scrambling along in a wetsuit, along rocks and stuff. And then the guy would go, now we're going to jump off the top of this cliff into the sea. Um, and I went with the theory that if I was maybe second in the group, that was the best place to be because I could watch one person demonstrate how to do it and then I would just go for it. Whereas if you're near the back, you've got enough time to think, oh, if I slip there, I'd fall and die. And if I slip there, I'd fall and die, whatever. So I just went with second in the group. So to, to me, it was the encouragement of being around a group of other people that were up for it and encouraging me on that made it enjoyable. And I don't think it's a surprise that if you notice in this passage, Paul mentions not being frightened in the same sentence that he talks about being united as one. The, the unity that they get in the face of opposition, and for them, remember, this opposition was a much more you know, risky, serious business. It was not only an encouragement to them to keep going, but it was also a sign to them and a sign to those opposing them that they'll be destroyed and the faithful will be saved by God. So I guess my question to you is, what are the things that are frightening you? Who opposes you? Do your Christian brothers and sisters know what those things are? Have you actually shared that in any way so they can stand with you in prayer and in, and in life? Okay, so that was number four. Number five. So... This one, this is supposed to be somebody like by themselves being accused. So this one's saying true unity doesn't come from trying to oust a false enemy. Let's go back to the traitors. So in the traitors, a big part of the entertainment for those of us watching at home is watching the faithful trying to work out who the traitors are. And believe me, they really do get it spectacularly wrong. You see them, and what they do is they accuse people because of the strangest things. So it would be because of the way somebody's reacted, or you've changed your behavior since day one, or um, things they've said, or maybe things they haven't said, um, or it's just the way somebody's looked at somebody else. All sorts of stuff. They just start accusing, accusing all the time. They're trying to find the traitor within the group, um, and then they get this kind of false sense of unity around picking one person together. So you see them, particularly at the end in the evening when they're going to banish somebody, you just see them all sort of ganging up together and they get this idea, yeah, we're, we've got the right idea here. And quite quickly, they can't see what is right or what is wrong. And there's this like group think that starts to, starts to take hold. This kind of unity isn't the type of unity, I think we can see that, that Paul is talking about in Philippians. He's not encouraging them to unite against a common enemy that's within or, 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 with, or outside of the group. But instead, he's calling them to unite on, around the gospel. It's something positive. It's not a negative thing. It's so much easier, isn't it, to unite around something that you hate together or against somebody that you're going to oppose together. But to unite around something that's positive, to unite around the gospel, to unite around Jesus is so much harder. But it is so much more effective. How many, this, thinking about Christians in the past, you know, through the centuries, Christians have been really good at doing this, of turning on believers within. How many churches have broken apart, you know, by internal fighting or disagreement over things that aren't the central core truths 
of the gospel. Paul so desperately, desperately wants us to hold on to it. So let's guard our own hearts, shall we, against that false unity that comes from, you know, malicious gossip or from internal bickering. Do you need to repent of an attitude that you hold, maybe about an individual or it could be about another group, either within the church or within our church or within the wider church? Okay, so that's five of them. I'm not sure if you can remember the five so far, but we had the first one was about uh, unity um, behave by being the same no matter what happens. We've had unity from standing as one together in the spirit. We've had unity um, by having a common goal in the gospel. We've had unity by facing danger together. Unity from, uh, not, false unity, sorry, from trying to oust a false enemy within. And then finally, unity coming from being united in our suffering and our struggles. Remember, Paul was writing this from prison. He knew what this was about. Um, Paul says, it has been granted to you not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for Jesus. Paul's gone through suffering. But the key here is that Paul says, if you look at how he actually phrases it, he says, you're going through the same struggles that you saw I had. He had shared his struggles with them. It wasn't something they had sort of heard about on the grapevine. It was something that he'd shared with them. Um, and in 1 Corinthians, you know, there's that famous passage about us being the body, like the body of Christ being a body, and how if one part of the body suffers, then all the other parts of the body should you know, suffer with it. So I guess the challenge for us is, do we know what's going on with other people in G2? You know, do we know what we're all suffering through at the moment? Do you openly share any of your challenges or do you keep it to yourself? I'm, I'm quite a guarded person. I don't tend to share much. So I've been challenged by this. You know, G2 small groups, I think, are a great place to be able to do that in a safe way. Um, so I'd really encourage you, if you're not in a small group, do find one. And I think if you contact either Hannah or Kat, they can sort you out. So that's the six. And you might think, well, that's great, but, you know, we can all be united. What makes us different as Christians from any other group, you know, with a common purpose? You know, what's, what actually makes us different from the faithful in the traitors or from a book group that you might belong to um, or, you know, a running club or a university society? All of those things do need to be united in some way. But, you know, what makes us different? I think that's where the second part of the passage we've looked at comes in. So from verse 1 of chapter 2, it says we're be it's because we are united with Christ. It's that encouragement that we all get from being united with Jesus. It's that comfort that we receive from his extravagant love for us. It's the fellowship that we get, you know, with the Holy Spirit. It's the tenderness and the compassion with which our Savior treats us. All of this is true, isn't it? It's all truth. Um, and it's an, from our experience of our relationship with Jesus. And then it should overflow from us into the relationships we have with other people. We're not called, like I said at the beginning, this, this manner worthy of the gospel. We're not called to do this to earn favor with God or to earn favor with other people. We're called to be like this as a response to what Jesus has done for us. And, and it's real benefits, isn't it? If you read that, you look through it and you think these are the benefits of 
being in relationship with Jesus, they're all really good things that we receive. And it's not for us to just keep them to ourselves. It's our responsibility to share them with other people. Um, for Kat and I, um, the, when we were engaged and we were looking forward to getting married, I know there's a few people here that are looking forward to getting married soon. Um, but yeah, we read these verses together in Philippians. This is our wedding invitation. And we, uh, we loved it so much that we actually put, if you look in the top right there, we actually put this verse from Philippians 2 onto our wedding invitations because it was such a desire for our marriage and for the future family that we really hoped to have one day um, that, that, that our relationship would be like this. It was our desire that the unity that we'd have with each other would come as a response to the unity that we've got um, with Jesus, that we would have the same love for each other that, and become one in spirit and in purpose in the same way that Jesus had done that for us. Um, it moves on, doesn't it, the bit just after this part in chapter 2, as Ellie shared with us last week. Um, it's like the core part of this bit of Philippians, the famous bit after the bit we've read. Um, and it's a really beautiful section of which some say is a poem. I think Ellie suggested it might be a poem. I read as well that it might have been like an early Christian hymn. So you can imagine this faithful body singing together um, this, these verses. So I'm just going to read them out to you now because it's such a brilliant example of how Jesus um, shows this to us. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There we go. Some slightly traitory music. Do you like that? <laughs> so, imagine I'm Claudia Winkleman for a moment, yeah? With a fringe or whatever. So, who isn't all they seem? Who is talking about people behind their backs? Who thinks more about what people think of them than about doing the right thing? Which of you isn't being truthful? or honest. It's time to reveal, are you a traitor or are you a faithful? That'll do. Right. I hope you're all feeling like you're going to have to stand up and reveal now. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not going to make you do that. <laughs> um, basically, I think the truth is, really, we're all traitors, aren't we? You know, we all fall short. We're all sin. None of us live with complete integrity. No matter how hard we try to be a good faithful, really, none of us would deserve to be a faithful. We are traitors. Yet, because of Jesus' death on the cross, 
and because of his resurrection in glory, we know this truth, don't we? It says there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. We were dead in sin, but now we are alive in Christ. We've got nothing to fear because Jesus himself has paid the price for you and for me. Now, what do we do with all of this? I feel like I've thrown loads of different things at you. Um, normally, when I do a talk, I'm always like, right, there's got to be like three points, and I'm just going to write down those three points so everybody knows where to go. But looking at this verse and all of the content that Paul gave us, I just think it's a bit more messy than that. It's not as clear, and it's more complex. And I hope that for each of us, God is speaking to us about maybe at least one of those areas as being something that we need to ask for his help with. We're all in different places, and we're all facing totally different challenges. So on the screen are the six, uh, six points. And obviously, you've got them again on, on the back of the, the, the piece of paper. Um, so what I'd like us to do as a response to this is maybe just with the person next to you, or in a small group of maybe three, um, I want you to pick one of those little images um, I'd like you to, exp- you can either explain to the people you're with why it is you've picked that, or you can just say, I've picked that one, yeah? You don't have to go into great detail. Um, and then we can pray for one another about that area. So I'll just give you a very quick reminder of what those six are. So the first one was the one at the top, um, and that was unity by conducting yourself in the same way, whatever happens. The second one was unity coming from standing together in the spirit. So that was where we had, you know, division and stuff within the, within the church. The third one at the bottom, right, that was the common goal and purpose. So do we have unity in the gospel? Um, we've got the, the scared looking person, unity coming from facing danger together. And are you sharing that with others? What are you frightened of? Um, true unity not coming from uh, ousting a false enemy within. You're not uniting around somebody or, or a group or whatever that you just don't like for some reason. Um, and then finally, unity coming from being united in our suffering and our struggles and sharing genuinely with other people what it is you're struggling with. So I'd like to encourage you to just take a moment to think and then turn to the person next to you or a couple of people next to you and pick one of them. Again, you don't have to explain it in great detail, but you can. And then just pray for one another. Thank you.